0: Happening, guys. Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I hope you all had a great weekend, and if you're on the road for the holidays, safe travels. Guys, coming up on today's show, Stipe Miocic finally has spoken up. Hazmet Chemayev is even better than we think, and I got some thoughts about a decision made by one of my favorite fighters. All that is coming up later in the show, but first, I want to begin with my immediate reaction following the fights from Saturday night. Ketlin Vieira, Misha Tate, guys, here's what happened. You had a a fight. You had a straight-up fish fight, which you never know when Misha Tate's going to be involved. If I was to be fair, historically speaking, back seven years, her return fight perhaps, and all of this evening... I still got to tell you, she can wrestle and she can throw these girls down just about any time that she wants to. She's a Sarah McMahon-style wrestler. And while Misha made All-American honors and Sarah went on to the Olympic Games, MMA wrestling, those two are absolutely tit-for-tat. So when you know that that's in uh, in Misha's repertoire, you just don't know how far back she stored it. That's the one thing with any athlete, and in particular this lady, Misha Tate, What did she store? What is she doing different? A lot of times as fans, we're gonna be so impressed. We're gonna see the changes and say, wow, I didn't know she was gonna be able to do that. Or we're gonna see the change and we go, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting she would get under the tutelage of such and such coach at the such and such gym. With Misha, I saw somebody who was still getting used to fighting. That's what I saw. I saw some very good boxing. I really liked the head movement. I liked the way she moved. There was many times in that fight where Misha was extending her hands. Now, when you want to do what's called an open palm, you're looking, you guys may not know this at home because you just see a hand open, but what you're looking to do is put that palm right on the forehead of your opponent. Reach out, and then you can follow them. Once you make contact, you can follow them wherever they go. Misha didn't get there. That's what she wanted. She didn't get there, but she still kept that out. It's a very good defensive arm anything gets punched at you, just hide your head underneath your arm. That's in one theory. Anything that comes straight down the middle, get it all the way out of the way. I don't love this. I don't teach this. But when I observe it and I see people do it, John Jones comes to mind. I know at least what they're looking for. And Misha Tate did this pretty well defensively, as well as she did with the rest of her head movement, aside from one thing, which was her stance when any time that we're breaking down a former world champion and a current main eventer, and we have to question hand placement and stance, we got a problem. We have a problem and it's a small one. It's a small one that I know the other coaches are going to be able to see and identify and then fix. But it's still a problem that still has to happen. There are things, no matter how amazing you are, and Misha Tate gets to qualify as amazing. But no matter how amazing you are, if you are a, hu- a human being, you still have to follow rules that other human beings have to follow, such as what am I going to look like? Where are my strategies going to be? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my rounds? What kind of scrambles can I push through when you've been out for a period of time? So, it's a cautious match by Misha. I must tell you, I thought Misha was winning. The announcers greatly influenced me, right? W- wipe my eyes and look again. I thought that Misha was winning this fight. I didn't think that it was action-packed, but Misha would get one or two shots in. Misha can co- control the clinches. Anything that happened up against the fence, which is step one to getting a takedown, was all done by Misha. It was enough. Misha was winning. Well, the announcers come out, and they said no. So I don't have Misha in any of this. I'm going, gosh, are we going to have one of these nights? And there was no controversy in what I'm saying, like my interpretation, having a different opinion, than the opinion and the interpretation of the announcers, and eventually we're going to bring the judges in and everybody, you know. But somebody's just going to be right and somebody's just going to be wrong. There was no robbery, and it is hard to judge matches like that. Yes, Misha did a good job landing a jab right on the face of her opponent. Her opponent would counter the jab with a power shot. So now you're one apiece. The dance got started by Misha. I think Misha should get credit for that but the power came from the opponent and again, a scenario that went one to one. See where that gets harsh to judge? So I got to come over here. This is about a five minute ride. I cruise out at the fifth round. I'm pulling right here into the studio to watch the rest of the match. Misha is now a bloody mess. She is now a bloody mess and scorecards come in. She now looks like what the announcers were foreshadowing for me. I thought it was competitive. I thought Misha looked great. I think the mere fact that Misha can go five rounds Ever having done that or been scheduled for that in six years is remarkable. And not to mention, she did it pretty well. I think if Misha were to be real open with us, and she is real open, and I have a feeling exactly what she's going to say somewhere in the next week is, I held back. I was scared of exhaustion. I wasn't exhausted. I felt pretty good. But I also felt that I could keep up with my opponent. I could protect myself at all times in that situation, which was jab, move. One, two, move, get to the body lock, push into the fence, ref breaks your part. One, two, one, two, move. Low pace, good accuracy, saw a lot of stuff there. Her opponent gets a lot of credit. Her opponent will be, not right now, be on the fast track to a world title fight. But when you're dealing with Amanda Nunes, who's got the 45 and the 35-pound belt, everybody's on a fast track as long as they have one thing that only top contenders have in that division, a willingness the Villa, Villas-Wena Vixen, Juliana Pena, is willing to go in. And that's something that Misha has on her side, too. Misha thought, according to an interview Misha did this week, if she looked great and even stopped this opponent, she could go right into a title fight. I think she's two away. Two away regardless. What I didn't know that I was factoring in is including a loss. Including a loss, Misha still needs that second one. If she gets that second one, depending on the opponent, depending on how she looks, she is not off the radar, she is not out of the conversation. Misha Tate matters, guys. Even coming in second here, even being a little bit lower on energy. Talked about, I wanted to see her find some takedowns, but the other side of the coin is she gave up no takedowns. So her wrestling, at least defensively, was spot on. I'm seeing a girl doing some stuff really well. But it all has to be taken into context. And the context is she's only done one fight less than 15 minutes in six years. And look at how much she got better. So all I'm submitting for you as this experiment plays out in front of us, and we do need to hear from Misha. We do need to hear Misha think she can be a little bit busier, not hang out here defensively unless she's getting ready to set something off in, offensively, more threats, getting into control, pushing somebody to the fence. Step number one, if you're Khabib. For most wrestlers, it's when they hit the fence, that's when you use that little spring and pull them off. Misha is a wrestler. Misha needs to hit the fence, pull them off. Misha push the fence, held. These are Corrections. These are small corrections that can be made. Congratulations to the opponent, but uh, congratulations on the return, Misha. Two fights back, you're already in the main event. Young lady, you are doing just fine. So those were my thoughts on the main event from Saturday night. Now I wanna transition to the co-main event and the new contender that we saw emerge at 170 pounds. Sean Brady was the star of the weekend for me. I, I was blown away. And a couple of things happened. Let me just share it from my perspective. But Sean Brady turns out to be the favorite on DraftKings.com. And I just happened to catch this right before the show. And remember thinking, that's a misprint. I wasn't overly familiar with Sean Brady. Now, I boned up on him. The guy's 5-0 in the UFC and 15 in overall. And he's a good wrestler, but he's got a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. I know everything about Sean Brady there is to know right now. But I will share for you, I was surprised... Who this human being, Sean Brady, standing opposite in a co-main event against Kiesel was, and more importantly, how does DraftKings have him as the favorite? Gotta be a misprint, which they do sometimes, by the way. There is some online gaming sites that make a misprint. Like here, I'll tell you one that Matt Lindland used to always clean up on. He would check this every single time, but they would put whether a fight is going to be over or under three rounds. Well, the gaming sites would get it wrong. They would put fights that were not championship fights and they would let you get action on that. This happened specifically with Tim Sylvia. I remember when Matt Lindland placed this bet because he was showing me and but I didn't I didn't have a long online account. I couldn't do it. Tim Sylvia was the champion of the world. He lost the belt. So his next fight was not a title fight, which the gaming site didn't know at the time and they put what do you think it's going to go over or under 3 It had a $500 maximum bet, but you could do it. I swear to goodness I had this flashback when Sean Brady was favored To beat Kiesa. All right. Turns out Sean Brady is absolutely fantastic. Now, beating Kiesa is one thing. Kiesa, partway through this fight, yelled to his... I think it was the second round, but he yells to his corner, oh, my God, this guy is strong. Now, that's another level of strength. To get Kiesa to admit that is one thing. To get Kiesa to admit that during the fight while he's having a hard time with his strength its next level strength, and there are some human beings that possess it, where you would think, well, is 170, this guy is 170, they must be similar in strength, and then one guy is not. I have felt guys like that. It's very rare. I can name two off the top of my head in my entire life. man named Les Gutches, a man named George St. Pierre, that to this day, I can remember a strength. It was debilitating. It wasn't about you versus me or my moves versus yours or grit or heart, or any of these buzzwords that you hear. It was purely strength. My goodness, what are you, a cyborg? Unbelievable strength. And George, by the way, I weighed more than. So it wasn't just what you would think, right? Well, whoever's bigger, stronger. Usually you would be right. Just on that alone, usually you would be right in a broad stroke. I weighed more and I still remember his strength to this day. All right, hold the thought because... Kiesa said this about Sean. Sean did a great job. He's the star of the weekend for me. Daniel Cormier interviews him. Daniel Cormier asks him not once, not twice, but three times for a name. Sean says nothing. Sean says everything in the world except a name. I want a top 10 guy. I want a top five guy. I want a rank guy. He says everything in the world except for a guy. Why? Now this isn't us kicking Sean. Let's be real matter of fact here. Let's be real intellectual about this and try to deduce why he wouldn't do that. My hypothesis: he didn't think he was going to win. I am out in left field wearing a catcher's mitt. I have no evidence of what I'm saying, and I am not faulting Sean, even if he was questioning himself going into that match. But before you go into a match, you are going to play out every possible scenario. You're going to play There's big deals that happen that fighters will think about that a fan would never see. Such as I'm in the back warming up, the fight before me goes the distance. I'm in the back warming up, the fight before me gets stopped in 30 seconds. You gotta be ready. You gotta be ready to make that walk. And it doesn't happen that night at the arena. You think about this before. You're in the hotel room the night before, you can barely sleep, you're playing every possible scenario through. He shuts my eye. I only got one eye. I'm down one round. I got to win the next two. I'm up two rounds. How do I close out the third? You're playing every possible scenario through. He gets like a deer in the headlights when they're asking him who he wants to fight next. And he's getting real close to giving the correct answers as he sees it. Well, a top guy in a top five. Nobody knows what anybody's ranked. Sean Brady is now 15 and 0. I didn't know he existed. And I'm not looking to be a dick. This guy's a total stud and it's my job to know. That's not a knock on Sean. That's a knock on me. But it's true nonetheless. I did not know a Sean Brady was within the UFC. I did not know a Sean Brady had ever fought in a co-main event. I did not know a Sean Brady was the DraftKings favorite or stud like Chiesa. I didn't know Sean Brady was so uh, super strong that it debilitated Michael. I didn't know anything about him. In all fairness, I don't know who's ranked in the top 10 or the top 5. That's where it is such a miss when fighters say that. There is so few people that do know. I would be stunned. And if, if I could just sit down anybody, even any one of you, there's millions of you out there, but if I could sit in front of one of you and go, tell me the top 10 guys at 170. If you could recite that off the top of your head, I'm going to think you're a bit of a dork. In all fairness, I'm going to go, my God, how did you know that? I get if you know the website or the dot-com that lists it. No, I'm saying right off the top of your head, if you could tell me who's ranked 1 through 10 in any given weight class, you got too much time on your hands, in all fairness. That's why it's such a mistake to call out a top-10 guy. Nobody knows what in the hell that means. Name names. Well, Sean agrees with me. Sean sees it Chael's way. Because Sean, after having a moment to think on it, went on something called social media in the form of Twitter and called out Hosmet Chemaev. That's a beautiful fight. There's not a lot I can learn about your resume that's going to tell me how you're going to do in competition. There's not. Well, you know, I had some boxing, and I, I played football when I was younger, and my, my brother does track and field, or whatever you put on a resume, eh, you're probably a good athlete. I don't know. There is a couple of things where I do, and Sean Brady has those. A good wrestler who got a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I've heard enough. Let me stop you right there. You're going to be a handful. That's going to be a handful for forget the 15-0, and 0, forget your superstar strength, forget that you're good enough to be a co-main event. If you tell me I'm a good wrestler and I have a black belt in jujitsu, jitsu I have heard enough. You're a problem. That alone, before he brings the big, beautiful 15-0 and 0 record to the table, makes for a very interesting mat with Chimaev. Forget about 15-0, and 0, forget about the top 10 guys. I don't even know if Chamayev is a top 10 guy. In all fairness, I don't know if those rankings have come out. He most certainly should be, but I don't know if he is. So when you do you want a top 10 guy, do you want a top 5 guy, or do you want Chamayev? What if they're not the same thing? I mean, what if? I don't know where to find the rule, but what if Chamayev's not a top 5 and he's not a top 10? Do you still want Chamayev because you said you want a top 10 and or top 5? Do you see the problem with the rankings? nobody knows it's my job to know and i don't know and i'm not trying to be funny and if any of you do know one through ten off the top of your head you're a bit of a dork now speaking of hazmat chamayev a video of the wolf came out this weekend and it took the mma world by storm that's next but first i want to tell you about today's sponsors this holiday season give yourself or a loved one a gift that keeps getting better night after night the best sleep on an 8 Sleep Pod Pro cover. About six months ago, I came across this company, 8 Sleep. I ordered a Pod Pro mattress, and guys, when I tell you it was a game changer, I am not exaggerating. Listen, I'm not a big spender, but I'm also not cheap. I don't mind spending money on a good night's sleep. I truly find it to be an investment. If I can get a better night's sleep and be a happier person with more energy, I can justify the cost, especially if it's a long term buy. 8sleep's pod pro cover will adjust the temperature based on your sleep stages biometrics and bedroom temperature throughout the night creating the optimal sleeping environment for you this thing is so easy to use if you're a hot sleeper like me but your significant other is the opposite no problem 8sleep can take care of that for both of you you can select your desired sleeping temperature in their app and leave the rest up to the technology data shows that 8sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40% and get overall more restful sleep. I can testify to this. Who doesn't want to get a better night's sleep? The Pod Pro by 8sleep has the attention of CEOs, professional athletes and overall high performers who want to get sleep fit. Go to 8sleep.com/welcome this Black Friday and Cyber Monday to save on the biggest sale of the year. That's 8sleep.com/welcome. Don't miss their extremely generous deals. If you've ever wanted to make your home feel safer, there is no better time than right now. This week, our friends at Simply Safe are giving my listeners that you Early access to all their Black Friday deals, 50% off their award winning home security system. We love Simply Safe because it is everything you need to make your home safe. Indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. What I am so impressed with about this system is the wireless outdoor camera. This thing can be set up anywhere, and the built-in spotlight gives it the most clear, crisp images at night, and it was a breeze to set up. Simply Safe was even named Best Home Security System of 2021 by US News and World Report. You can easily customize the system for your home online in minutes, and even get free custom recommendations from Safe. These are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over 100 bucks. There's no long-term contracts or commitments. I hate long-term contracts. It's a really easy way to start feeling a bit more peace of mind, especially with everything going on in the world and the country these days. Take advantage of Simply Safe's early Black Friday deals and get 50% off your new home security system by visiting SimplySafe.com slash chale. Again, that's simplysafe.com slash chale for 50% off your entire system. Hosma Chemayev, Jack Hermanson are doing a face-off and there's a scale behind them. Now I'm giving you the visual. Instead of just saying Jack Hermanis and Hosmet Shamayev weighed off and I saw him. No, no, because why would they weigh off? They're not in the UFC tonight. They're not fighting anywhere tonight. They don't look angry with each other. I haven't read headlines. I don't know where this is going to be. I don't know how to go out there and watch it. That can't be a weigh-in. I deduced I was right. I went on about my day. Woke up this morning. Somebody sent me to my Twitter inbox the match. So Hermanson who goes about 195 pounds, is going to take on Chemayev. Nobody knows what Chemayev weighs, but I will tell you, Chemayev was not smaller than Jack. So this whole Chemayev is going to go to 170 and stay at 170. Okay, good. But the sooner he figures that out, the longer and more fun his career will be. Chemayev's a big man. That's my biggest takeaway is Chemayev is a big man. Now, we have never had, I really encourage you to go and find this clip. I will try to find it. My partner will try to stick it in our comment section so you guys can watch it right here. But not all wrestling works. Not all grappling works. Some wrestling and some grappling has such a shockingly low level of success in MMA that it's hard to even incorporate that in as one of your brethren grappling arts. Judo, just by example. But judo has never had anybody reach any level of success within the sport. And don't tell me about Ronda and don't tell me about Kayla. I got it broad stroke, but there has been no other women and there has been no other men to not only do judo and win a world championship, to do judo and fight for a world championship or even a contenders match where this guy's the top judo guy. If he just beats this guy, he will then get to go fight for the title. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. That's a little bit of a surprise because judo has something great on its side. Great that wrestling doesn't, but wrestling gets all the credit. That one thing is the stance. And if you go watch Chamayev and you watch Jack and you watch them wrestle, they're bent over. They're not standing straight up. They're bent over. This is called freestyle wrestling. So a freestyle and a collegiate wrestler has always had a home within mixed martial arts. How far do they go? Well, the ones that go on to be champions, the great, great wrestlers, the ones you look at and go, man, that guy is fantastic at MMA wrestling. They know Greco-Roman. Greco-Roman, Sambo, as Khabib likes to say it, straight up and down. So now you don't have to change your posture at all. So when I'm watching a very good wrestler, like Chemayev, go out in MMA and hit a double-A takedown, four opponents, three of the same shot, three times they succeeded, nobody he's ever gotten down has ever gotten up. I, of course, have to sit back and go, wow, he's pretty good at that double-A takedown. Wow, Chemayev, pretty good at controlling, guys. I can't give you a grade in A, B, C, D. I can't give you a, a belt system. Black, brown, purple, white. I can't do it based on that. I've got to see some activity. I have to see some scrambles, like when I saw, when I saw Justin Gaethje picked up off the air, rotate his body, hit a leg pass, and mentally break Michael Chandler. I have to see some of that stuff to know how good of a wrestler are you, because we have other good wrestlers that are good at getting takedowns, but only one and a wrestler will set up a takedown to get closer to the second, and it's the third one that they plan to score with. So, how's this do with Chemayev? I need to know if he can go upper body. I don't think when two guys are bent over that this little double leg that we're seeing in MMA is going to work. The double leg works because one guy's straight up and down. Jack, who's not from a country of wrestlers, just wants an opportunity, still going to be a good, solid body that we know has an understanding and is a phenomenal athlete. Well, there's something called a leg wrap. It's where you're standing straight up. You put in what's called a side wizard. You take your free leg. You wrap his and you wrap him. And this is exactly what Shemayev did. Extremely high level. Extremely high level. This is how he opens the show. Four points. Gets him down. Scramble. Come back up to her feet. Front headlock, headlock for two. They didn't give him the exposure. They did give him the two when he spun around. Comes back to a feet. Now he starts looking human. Shemayev starts looking human about this point. He starts missing attacks. He starts breathing deep a couple of times. He starts slowing down to do what's called managing a match. I'm up by seven. There's three minutes left. I no longer need to score on you. I just need to run the clock out. Great. A lot of the greats do it. I wasn't expecting to see it from Chimaev. And if I if I am looking to be critical and for nothing else, that's going to glare off the page. So now, all of a sudden, Hermanson realized this guy's not trying to score any more points. Hermanson gets some offense going, which basically formed the same position, except now it's double overhooks. Double overhooks is is a position you would never teach a kid to wrestle in, and you would never want to wrestle in it yourself unless you are an elite-level athlete. I am talking Yoel Romero. I am talking now Hosmet Shemaev because he did wrestle out of it. Soak it in wet, gave up position, Forced it, stepped the corner, kept the hips up, boom. Sent Jack flying all through the air. Another four-pointer. Wrestling match, if you get to 10, the match is over. This one had, like, its own rules to keep the crowd entertained because it was roughly 13, 14, 15 to 0. But it was the way that Chemayev did it. If he went out there and got a double or he showed a low single, or he turned it into a leg lace for a whole bunch of points, okay, great. I I guess we had something fun to see there. That's not what he did. He used extremely high-level techniques. He chose to do them, which means he is brave. He is confident. When Shemayev got around his last opponent, picked him up in the air, and turned and has a conversation with Dana White, is that unsportsmanlike? Sure. Was it rude? Yeah, you bet it was. Is it a display of absolute confidence? Of absolute calm. I just got my I know everything I need to know about this guy. And it works like that in wrestling. You think this and he thinks that. And the time and space go away. Once you have your hands on one another, you will know very quickly what side of the bread's got the butter. And in this case, it was Chamayev. And he picked the guy up. He had a conversation with Dana. Put him to the mat. Guy never got up again. Except for when the fight was over and Chamayev's getting ready to stand on somebody's shoulders. It was one of those situations. But now I get to see the athlete. I did not know this. I knew he had a pretty good double leg. I think his double leg's better than most people because he'll do what's called the reshot. He'll hit the first double just to get in position to shoot the second double. He doesn't finish the second double because he's got their opponents out there knowing what they're doing. He comes to the third shot. The first shot sets up. The second shot, you finish on the third. That's what the great ones do. The good ones don't. Being good in the sport of MMA, okay, fine. But I, I can I can take all of that from you if I just cause you one scramble because now I know you're not in condition. Every wrestler would agree with me. Shot sets up the next shot, sets up the one that you're going to finish with. Most wrestlers, one shot. That's because they don't have the cardio in. They don't have the time in. That squeeze isn't worth the juice if they're not sure they can get on top. That is not what Shamayov did. Even in this small wrestling match, Jack Hermanson is a straight up badass, looks strong as can be. I I said he weighs about 194 guys. He can weigh closer to 200 pounds. And he wasn't, he wasn't bigger than Shamayov. That was another takeaway. Tremaya was two inches taller. Tremont was huge. They're talking about him getting down to 170 pounds, I guess. I guess, but why are we having that talk? Are, are him and Usman boys somewhere that we don't know about? I, I mean, it, it would seem as though 185 pounds is a pretty compelling weight. I'm not going to get my way on this. That's not the direction that this is going but I do have a new piece of evidence, one to bring to you and tell you, and it'll be right here on the page. I'll post the the, the link for you guys. Go watch him, he does some really good wrestling, but not only with the really good wrestling, he's very tactical and he shows a real confidence. Chamaya's understanding of wrestling was fully on display when he took on Jack. To continue the conversation about welterweights, Two of the divisions, toughest guys, are going at each other through the media, and I just hope we can get them in the cage soon. Same story, different day, guys. George Masvidal and Colby Covington, it's it's the one that won't go away. And Colby is not only offering and willing to, he is suggesting that they go do the ultimate fighter. Now, you gotta watch that. If you can get Colby Covington You already have one half of it Colby Covington is saying Let's go do the ultimate So we got him done If you can get George Masvidal The second biggest star in the sport Who by the way is rehabbing something I don't know what it is But he's rehabbing something Perhaps the ultimate fighter Perhaps a little rest and rehabilitation Is exactly what the doctor ordered I mean don't ever forget The ultimate fighter While that's presented to you The audience as a television show The ultimate fighter is the ultimate training camp You will have a bunch of bodies, your size, like-minded, any coaches you want to bring in. Dana's writing the check in the world-class facility. It is the ultimate training camp. I've been through a number of training camps, none as good as the ultimate fighter. So maybe that's exactly what Masvidal needs. And this seems like one that's going to be very hard to get around. Well, I'm saying it's a different day in the same story. This is Colby lighting this torch, yelling it from the top of the roofs, There is nothing within George Masvidal's makeup that says he backs down from a fight. And between George and between Colby, and between their select training partners and select coaches, everybody knows who's likely to win. I mean, in all fairness, when you work out with a guy every single day, and there's videos of Colby and George when they were living together, quite literally moving the coffee table in the living room, putting on wrestling headgear, and going at it right there at home. They've got a good idea between the two of them who's going to win. Now, how come they're both willing to fight? Maybe they don't have such a a good, clear idea. Even if they do, neither one of them's backing down. But I will tell you this. A couple of things about when they used to train together. Because if this match is going to come up and they're going to speak up about how the training sessions went. We've seen this happen before. When Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz fought the first time, everybody that was there, Dana White included, said, Chuck gets the best of Tito, but the odds makers had Tito as a favorite. So even if we're told something, us as the audience, we will reject it at times. But there's good reason to reject a couple pieces of this story. I'll give you two. If you're ever sparring with somebody, you are going to grapple at 100%. You have the right, per the integrity, per the culture of the room, to wrestle and grapple as hard as you can. If you're striking with somebody, you're going to go about 75, maximum to 80%. So Colby, who is a wrestler, is going 100% in his field. Mosval, who's a striker, is holding back. It's a very false sense. Let's just say Colby felt like, oh, I could, I could get a hold of him and I could keep him down. But let's say George said, yeah, but I could have caught him with an uppercut and a hook on the way in and I just never did because I was taken care of. My partner, by example, and part two that I'll submit for you, when they used to spar together, George was a 55-pounder. That is a, that's like they never sparred. You spar a guy who's in a different weight class, it's like you never sparred. George gets a fresh coat of paint, not only with the rankings, not only with us, the audience, but also with the competitors as soon as he changes weight classes, and that is a part of the story that needs to be told. Whatever happened with those boys in the room, they were in different weight classes they're not anymore. Does it make a damn bit of difference? Who knows? It's between those guys to tell the story. I just share for you that if you can get them in the Ultimate Fighter, you can get George Masvidal to go out there and give you 10, 11, 12 weeks of TV. It seems like a very hard match to turn down. Not to mention, nothing is bigger than the sport than a grudge match. Nothing. Not a main event which you see every single Saturday. Not a title fight which you see every 30 days. Nothing trumps grudge match. This is the only true grudge match out there, anywhere. We're going to have to wait for this Connor and Poirier business and see if Connor can still even keep that hot. It feels like it's settled, but he's very good with marketing. Maybe he could relive that. It's going to need some work. This one's real, and this one's right in front of us. And I do think it would behoove George Mosville to come out and tell the story a little bit clearer the way I just told it, which is, first off, Mr. Chaos, I wasn't punching you as hard as I could because I'm a trustable workout partner. And second, I was a lightweight. I'm not a lightweight anymore. It's a very relevant two pieces to the story. And those guys may think that they know each other. They don't. And there's some guys that come away with a very different interpretation and opinion. If this sport ends and TJ Dillashaw and Uriah Faber don't fight, we, the community, have messed up. Can we agree on that? But they're relevant to this because those guys worked out together every single day. They know at least between them who's where. And they had a select group of people, none of which are talking, that watched them spar every single day. And everybody may have an opinion on who's where, but Uriah didn't flinch to do the match and neither did TJ. So they have apparently either a different interpretation of what happened or they don't care. They do not care. Whichever one you believe is the B-side, he's willing to show up anyway just to hit the A-side in the mouth. And that could be what's going on here with Colby and George, but I think that's fascinating. I also think the fact that if I was to ask you guys what happened to George Masvidal, tell me what his injury is. And the mere fact that you can't speaks volumes about George as a person. George only has two choices. Does he want to document and show to everybody what his injury report is? Does he want to lay on a gurney like Oscar De La Hoya and smiling while he's got the gown on and he's hooked up to an IV to show everybody that he's hurt so he doesn't have to box Vitor Belfort? Does he want to keep his mouth shut and be a man about it? Let Leon move on with business and he'll move on in a different direction because that's what George chose to do. It was the right way to do it. It's it's the way that a man would handle it. And you don't generally see a man in these situations. You generally see somebody they call the golden boy laying there trying to tell a story and get sympathy from people for not going out and doing a job that he said he was going to do. George didn't want any of that. Say whatever you want about me. I agree. I signed a contract. I'm not showing up. Who gives a goddamn what the reason is? I didn't show up first time in my career, but it happened. Leon, good job. That's the way to handle it. That's the way George did handle it. Now George is in a new spot. He's got a huge match. It's a grudge match. This is a match that has to happen. I talk to you guys all the time. If you do things right in this sport, the outcome of your last match doesn't matter. George versus Colby could go under the ultimate fighter. Dana, I'm quite sure. Be very interested in that. It will be a main event. It will move the needle. It will be a high dollar. Neither one of them lost their last match. How do you take two guys that lost their last match, put them together, and create something beautiful? Because you don't stay on it. You don't dwell on it. The moment one match ends, the marking for the Nets batch begins. The three biggest stars in the sport right now, Connor, Masvidal, anybody named Diaz, one thing in common, none of them won their last match. It's very relevant to study how these things happen. Why does this happen for some people? Why do some other guys end up in a hole? What if some guys in life in general and not just in the sport get stuck in the, in the world's cracks and some other guys use it like a platform and they come springing out of it? You're going to decide. I'm going to believe this. An audience member, I'm going to believe you. If you say you're down and out, just, you just can't do it anymore. Things just aren't going your way. I will believe you. I have no reason to question that. And if you come out and say, I'm going to do better next time. Give me this guy. I'm going to whip his ass. I'll believe that too. Now, Stipe Miocic, a guy who knows a thing or two about big fights, did an interview, and finally spoke up about his future and the heavyweight division, so let's get into that. Stepe Miocic spoke up, thank goodness. Thank goodness and why now? Why only now? Stepe should have spoke up yesterday, today, and I should be making another piece on Stipe tomorrow, the day after that, and the week after that. It's the only piece that is missing from his career. The guy is a superhero. If you did not know Stepe Miocic, and I sat down and I told you about this guy. Told you about this college baseball player. Told you about this this educated man who went on and is currently a fighter fighter serving the public in the midst of a pandemic. Oh and by the way, he won a world championship of the pros. Like I could leave so many pieces of that uh, that story out and you'd still think I was exaggerating. You oh, oh and by the way, he's handsome on top of that. Like th- this guy is a superhero. He's a character. People like this don't exist. So when you actually are that guy and you do exist, but you're too humble to know it and you don't tell your story, shame on you and shame on Stipe for not telling his story more often. If Stipe gave people like me, people that are in the media and I'm I'm charged with bringing you guys the story, if he gave me the smallest amount of ammo... I will shove that clip in a machine gun, cock it, and spray it everywhere. I will get this story out. I will make sure that it's heard. I'll scream it from the rooftops. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't help me. Stepi came out and he was talking about it had to do with John Jones, and he said I was down for the fight. I don't know the backstory. Sounds like John didn't want it. I think when John comes back, he's going to fight for a title. He's a really good fighter, but. Uh, you still got to wait your order. And then he finished this statement. I'm paraphrasing. And he said, I get it. It's just business. No, it's not, Stepe, And no, you don't get it. You absolutely do not. What you just described is sport. The sport and the business are vastly different things. The promoter, by example, will come out and tell you in the world and anybody else that's listening that what he's paying for is a hard fight and heart and grit and the punches and the kicks. Promoters are buying stories. The big fights have the better stories. The guys that the crowd gets behind, that's the business. They have a more compelling story than the person standing next to him. The number one ranked guy didn't just land more lefts and rights. He had a more compelling story than the number two ranked guy. That's the business. And Stipe doesn't understand that. And the Stipe Miocic story is awesome. And it is wrong what happened to him. It was wrong the night he fell down against Daniel. They ushered him out, and Brock brought Lesnar in the ring. It was wrong, but it's Stipe's job to tell it. It's Stipe's job to make sure that we know that. If Stipe was offered a fight with John Jones behind the scenes and he accepted the fight and John did not, that is front page news. If John Jones turned down a fight against anybody, it's front page news. If anybody had the balls to step up to fight John Jones, it's front page news is telling us a story today that allegedly took place three months ago. Why am I just now hearing about it? And not for nothing, Surreal gone isn't doing the world's best job. Surreal's a pretty impressive guy, and like he kind of comes across on camera well. He seems like he's a cool and interesting guy, but he hasn't actually let us know that. He had not done a goddamn thing to build up this fight with Engano, And I do mean nothing. Fortunately, the two of them had at one point a mutual coach and shared a practice room together and that coach has the sense that God gave the geese to come out and tell the people the story, which is very interesting. But thank goodness for that coach or we wouldn't even have that. Gano's not building it, but he doesn't have to. Gano is mysterious you guys know why Paul Heyman follows Brock Lesnar around? Do you know why Vince McMahon didn't let Brock talk? It's not because Brock didn't have a good voice, and it's not because he didn't have good wit and he couldn't do a good job. It's because Brock is a monster and monsters don't speak. That is as far as Vince McMahon went with it. I want this guy to remain mysterious. In his real life, and I'm talking about Lesnar now, he does not answer his cell phone. He lives in the woods. He doesn't love to be around a lot of people. So Vince took that, turned it up, and just went with the gimmick of keep this guy isolated, and you bring in Paul Heyman. It's a very good story, whether you guys love that or not. It's a very good story because it can only be applied to certain people. Generally, you have to be out there. You have to be yelling. You have to rip your shirt off and scream with a megaphone. Generally. But then every now and then you have a Brock Lesnar. I only submit for you that Francis fits that same bill. Francis is mysterious. mysterious. And the mystery is frightening because he's a very scary guy. You can talk about who the best fighter is. You can have a good back and forth in the debate. You want to talk about who the scariest guy, use that adjective specifically, Francis Encano. For sure. Francis is flat terrifying. And if he was to come out and turns out he's got a bubbly personality, it would actually work against him. If he had some really great story, it would actually start to work against him. The less we know the better. For now, that's the way it works. So Francis is doing what Francis has to do. I can't give Francis a hard time here. He's going to show up. He's going to bring the people with him. He's going to bring the world championship. Francis gets a pass. So real God has a job to do. And so far, he sucks at it. He's 15-0. He's never been taken down. He's a champion. He used to spar with this guy. Some people are wondering, Ryan, right? I mean, who got the best of those sparring sessions? How well do you remember it? And quite frankly, I don't need the truth. I just need a story. I need you to tell me a version through your interpretation and possibly even your own manipulation of the facts. I don't care. I just need to hear from you. I'm not hearing from Surreal. Surreal does not have that same mystery. He does not have that same mystique as Francis. You can sit around and complain if your team's Surreal. It's the reality. I don't create the rules. I just observe them and I come and talk to you guys about it. Surreal is not that same terrifying presence of Francis where the less you know, the more scared you get, like the ghost underneath your bed. Francis has that seat. That that seat is taken. It's taken by Angano. Surreal is something else. He strikes me as a cool guy. I know that's a weird word to use, but he strikes me as a cool guy. Strikes me as a guy I'd like to hang out with, like sit down and have lunch with, visit with. He just strikes me like that. He has a natural charm. He has a natural charisma. Some of that came through the night that he beat Junior Dos Santos, and Junior was complaining right to his face. Like there was was body language and expressions coming from Surreal gone that were kind of cool. We're like, you know what, this, guy, this seems like a cool guy. I want to hear from him more, but I need to hear from him. This is not a choice. Surreal accepting a world title fight is him accepting, I'm going to go out and I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell my story. He hasn't done that yet, and the clock is ticking. That is a massive fight interim versus undisputed is one of the great marketing tools in the history of our sport and they've got it oh by the way they're at heavyweight oh by the way the challenger used to be a training partner and his record is more beautiful than the champions everything about this works this is going to draw this is going to sell you can just do it by the numbers but it can be better it can be bigger Conor McGregor's talked about this. What's better than a lot of money? More money. What's better than record viewers? A higher record of viewers. And I'm telling you, the things are in place. And Surreal gone accepting the match. Is Surreal gone accepting his job in getting that story out there? And he's yet to do it. So you come back to Stepe Miocic, who has this amazing story. He is the greatest to have ever done it. If you want to go paper for paper, note for note, Genie pops out of a bottle I'll give you anybody's career that's ever existed Who do you want? You're going to put Stipe Because you're going to win more championships and more matches than anybody He is the guy But I find out today That he was offered a fight that he accepted And John Jones turned down And this was three months ago That's not my fault That's his 100% He says he understands the business And that's okay why he's overlooked No he doesn't That's the sport The business is the story On fight night, whether you're good with the lefts and the rights, you're good with the hooks and the uppercuts, is not what made people tune in. What made people tune in was the story, and that is the business, and that is not what Stipe understands. That's the one part that he misses. I need to hear from Stipe more. I don't need a little bit. Stipe's got other advocates out there, not just me. But I got the biggest audience, and if he gives me a little sprinkle, I will help him the rest of the way but he's got to help me help him. He can't be getting offered fights with John Jones, accepting them. John turn it John Jones turned down a fight? What? That would be fascinating news. That would be a back and forth to the highest of levels. John has such a sensitive ego that somebody put Khabib in the ranking in front of him and John lost his mind. Okay, great. We don't have to tease John for that. Let's acknowledge that from John and then let's go use that in our advantage. Let's say some stuff about John, knowing that he's gonna respond and he's Mr. Sensitive. Great, everybody wins. What part of this is Stepe missing? To close out today's show, one of my favorite fighters has made a big decision about his future, and I'd like to tell you how I feel about it. Oh, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a weird spot, guys. Here's what happened. Dan Hooker, one of my favorite guys for multiple reasons, but I really respect Dan Hooker. It's one thing to like a guy. I respect Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker came out and said that he's going to change weights. He even said, I'm doing a test weight run. And I remember thinking, what do you need to test if you're going up to 170? Go have breakfast and spar, you weirdo. Like, what what are you talking about? You're going to do a test run. Guys, I had it wrong. I had it wrong. Dan Hooker is not going to 170. Dan Hooker is going down to 145. I do not love this. I don't. When I thought he was going to 170, when I came and spoke to you guys about him going to 170, when we were talking about the possible parody for Dan Hooker at 170, not to mention life in general, which is going to be better, Things are going to be a little bit easier. Beating that scale is a very real opponent, but you don't have 15 to 25 minutes to do it. You have 8 to 11 weeks of agony to defeat the scale. So life is just going to be better for Dan Hooker. I was very happy for him. Now I find out why he did the test run. He did the test run because he's going down to 145. By the way, I found this out when Dan put a piece out on social media and took a picture of 145 with him on the scale. Oh, Now... It's not because I don't like the parody, guys. It's not because there's not great matches, and it's not because I don't believe in Dan Hooker in the least. This is why I respect Dan Hooker, crap like this. But don't miss the story. The story is not that Dan Hooker's at 145 pounds. The story here is how the hell did he get there? When? I just saw Dan Hooker from my living room. He was in Abu Dhabi on Fight Island. Three weeks prior to that, I saw Dan Hooker in person at T-Mobile Arena. He is in New Zealand where he's in a pandemic, can't even get appropriate training to the point that his entire team, Volkanovski, Adesanya, Coach Eugene Behrman, Dan Hooker, are talking about leaving and coming to America where some of the rules are different so they can at least get training. And so I'm going to ask you again, when did Dan Hooker have time to get to 145 pounds? He just fought at 150. This just happened he was in there with Islam. So he leaves Fight Island. He come, either goes to New Zealand or he goes back to Las Vegas. Either way, he goes to a different damn con- When did he have time? This is why I like this guy. There are no excuses coming out of Dan Hooker. Ever. But this is an absolute battle. Please, you got to trust me on that, guys. When I tell you how hard it is to make weight, oh, my goodness. And if you don't have that incentive known as a contract, known as a signed contract that comes with a show bonus, show so you understand means you make weight. If you make what, you get your show. If you misweigh that 10% here, 20% here, you guys have heard about it, but that's an incredible incentive. So Dan, absent of the incredible incentive, still went through the agony. You see why I like the guy. You see why I like that. Does he not take any days off? He has a fight with Islam Makhlchiv only four or five weeks after his previous fight at T-Mobile. He doesn't take a break. He doesn't order a couple of pizzas, put his feet up, get a box of donuts like every other fighter in the history of the world. He goes into weight camp for a test run to see if he can get to 145 pounds. He then does it. His only reward is what? What the hell does he get for that except to be hungry? So there's a. I don't know if I love it because the things that I loved about 170 wasn't just the parody that we get as a fan. I was happy that Dan Hooker is life is gonna be a little bit more comfortable. I'm wrong. He did. Excuse me. He did the opposite. He made his life less comfortable and went down to 145. Now what do you want to do with him? I mean, you guys tell me, give me some ideas. I had him at 170 where I thought he was going. He looks like a big strapping guy. He's tall as hell and he's got pretty broad shoulders. It never even crossed my mind that he was going down to 145. So, okay, Dan Hooker's lighter than I thought he was and he's gonna make a weight class that I didn't know he could make. What do you want to do with him? Who do you want to put him with at 145? I mean, here we are. You got a top guy who's only bumping a road is against other top guys at 150 oh, he lost to Michael Chandler. Who the hell did it? It's the world champion of two organizations who oh, lost to Islam Michael Chandler. Well, Khabib says he's going to be the champion of this We're Like who? Nobody can deal with Dan Hooker as it is at 155. The problem is he's gone through a lot of guys. He's got a couple in front of him. The road to a championship is a little bit tough. I mean, Dan Hooker went fisticuffs with Dustin Poirier to where it was a split decision. One licensed judge thought he beat Dustin Poirier. And a lot of you did, too. A lot of the fans didn't agree with that decision. Now, I'm not here to rehash that, but there is no question of how good Dan Hooker is. He went 25 minutes with Dustin Poirier and had a judge say that he got the best of him. Dan Hooker, he is amazing. And now you're telling me he's going to go 145. What do you want to do with him? I mean, he's an immediate player, not to mention he's got a pretty good idea of, of where he stands in that weight class, considering his own teammate is the champion of the world. That's a very helpful advantage, and it's also a clue to the rest of us. If you're in the room with a guy who is the world champion and you get a spar with him every single day, you know right where you can fit into the mix. It's very helpful. Dan Hooker must like where he fits into the mix. He must like how he feels at 145. He's helped Volkanovsky prepare for many opponents, which means Hooker studied the division. So who is one of those opponents going to be? Because I don't have one right now that I don't like. If you told me Dan Hooker was going to fight Ortega, I got no problem with it. I don't go Ortega's too high ranked, and he fight. No, don't get. I don't. I don't have a problem with that. I don't care if Dan's coming off a loss or not. I'll watch that fight right now, and I won't be too sure ahead of time who's going to win. Not to mention, what about a storyline? If Volkanovski demand, I don't want to fight Max. You got to go through my teammate first. I mean, that story's been done a few times to get to a guy. You got to go through a guy. It started with a Gracie challenge. The Gracies used to have a thing where you could come into their gym challenge them right off the street. I think I can beat you, no problem. I'll fight you right now for free. But you gotta go through one of my students first. I gotta know that you belong here. And they'd bring out one of the students and it usually didn't get that far, but sometimes it did. Sometimes the dude that came off the street was a badass. He'd beat one of the students and Gracie would have to go deal with it. It was one of these things, but it works for marketing, right? If you guys didn't know that story, I just had your interest, didn't I? You think, well, that's interesting. That happened to Hoyce, that happened to Hickson. That had been to Horion? You think that was interesting. That story is very real. What if? Just for fun, what if? What if Volkanovsky demands you go through my guy? You're all of a sudden going to want to see Max. What if I tell you it's going to be the zombie? There's no way to go wrong. I don't know how Hooker got to 145. I've always liked this guy, and I like him because he doesn't make any excuses about anything. He didn't make excuses in a pandemic. He got better in his garage and came out of one fight. He got stuck on Fight Island for 73 days away from his wife who's in New Zealand because of the rules of entry for that specific government. He didn't complain. He didn't say a goddamn thing. Now I find out that he gets done with Islam Makulchev and instead of crying and sitting around being a little baby like everybody else would have the right to do, at least for a couple of days, he goes into a weight-cutting camp just to see if he can do it. He makes 145 pounds. He gets a, a whole goddamn bunch of nothing for doing it. That's not fair. It's not fair, guys. we got to give Dan something. Dan made weight. Dan did the show. We have to give him something, so let's find him an opponent. I'm asking you guys. we got to start somewhere. Who do you want it to be? All right, guys. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review like our friend Roy who says, my favorite MMA show. Thank you very much, Roy. Thanks to all of you. Have a happy Thanksgiving with your families, and make sure that you're back on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.